Well, good morning. Welcome to worship wherever you are worshiping at. All of you here in the worship center, all of you over in our chapel, everyone at our Minnetonka campus, and then everyone else who's wor- worshiping online with us somewhere else in the world. It's such a joy to be with you on this beautiful beautiful morning. So we are kicking off this new sermon series for the month of June called Bucket List. And I think probably most of us are familiar with the concept of having a bucket list. It's a list of things that you want to accomplish or you want to experience or you want to do before you kick the bucket, right? Maybe it's something like climbing a mountain. Maybe it's visiting every state in our country, Maybe it's attending a Super Bowl or a Stanley Cup final. Maybe it's writing your own book. But you know, that's not what this series is about, even though it can be a valuable thing to have. What we're going to talk about in this series is God's bucket list for us. Because our days on this earth are limited, no matter who we are. And that means the time is now to do what really matters in the eyes of God. And so my question for you this morning is what do you consider success? What would a life that really counts look like? I think most of us here, to some extent, are driven to succeed. I mean, we want to be better than average at at least something in our life. And along the way, it probably wouldn't hurt to get some recognition from some other people, right? To have others notice how we are excelling or exceeding maybe the average in some area of life. And maybe that means getting our picture in the paper. Maybe it means a trophy. Maybe we win an Oscar. Maybe it's just another major award. You know, sometimes we might even meet people who have failed to reach their goals and their ambitions. And what they end up doing is trying to live through their children. Have you ever met someone like that? You know, they have these huge expectations for their children that they become the next Tiger Woods or the next Wayne Gretzky or the the next Michael Jordan because they want to experience success within their life. And maybe their children can do that for them. So, Let me ask you again, how would you define success in your own life? If someone would ask you what success looks like, would you talk about your career? Would you talk about how much money you make? Would you talk about your great title that you have achieved and the perks that come with your position? Or maybe you talk about your family. You talk about your marriage and how much you love your spouse. Maybe you talk about how proud you are of your children. Or maybe you'd speak in terms of your hobby and your incredible golf handicap or how big your sailboat is or the size of the deer that you shot last year. So again, what does it mean to you to be truly successful? You know, as with all important life issues, I think it's so vital that we remember God is not just the God of Sunday morning. God is not just the God of getting dressed up and getting to church on time. God is not the God of of just smiling when we see some other people and having a little bit of small talk for an hour one day a week. 
God is not the God of just dropping a few bucks in the offering plate every so often. You see, God doesn't want to just be the God of your Sunday morning. God wants to be the God of your entire life, each and every day. He wants to be the God of 100% of your hearts. And God is so concerned with how we live each moment of our life, whether it's work or at home or out shopping or in recreation, he cares about our decisions and our choices and our values. And so here's the question that we should really be asking. Well, what does God consider success in our lives? Not just at church, not just on the weekends, but every single day of your life. What would it take for in God's eyes to live a life that counts, a life well-lived? What would it take to please him and to satisfy him? In his eyes, what should be on our bucket list? Well, there's a prophet in the Old Testament named Micah who takes up these exact questions when he's addressing the nation of Israel. You see, the people of Israel also want to know what does God consider success in their lives. And they're wondering, can they somehow win him over through their sacrifices and through acting devout and doing all the right things? And so Micah takes up their questions in Micah chapter 6, starting with verse 6. So if you have your Bible or your app on your phone, I'd invite you to turn with me to Micah chapter 6. And again, we're going to start with verse 6. So here's what it says. What can we bring to the Lord to make up for what we've done? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and tens of thousands of rivers of olive oil? Would that please the Lord? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for the sins of our souls? Would that make him glad? Now, at first glance, that's probably not the list that we would make today, right? Those aren't the things that we're wondering about. And so we might update these questions and the things that we are wondering about. We might say, you know, would these things make God glad if I show up to church semi-regularly? If I throw a little bit of my paycheck in the offering plates? If I remember to pray three days a week? Maybe if I put a Jesus fish on the back of my car Maybe if I say God bless you to someone during the day, maybe if I vote a certain way, would those things make God glad? Would they make him proud? Is that considered success in his eyes? And Micah naturally answers any of these questions by saying, no, of course not. He's basically saying to all of us and to the nation of Israel, you can pretend to act confused about what God expects and what he desires and what he's shown to you. And from the very beginning, God has been consistent about what we should prioritize in our lives. From the very beginning, God has been clear 
about how we should order the hours of our day. And so he goes on to explain what would please and satisfy God. He explains what it looks like to live a life that counts and a life that impacts the world for God. And Micah puts it very simply. He says, this is what God requires. Now, the Hebrew word there for requires is derosh, which is actually a participle, which you might not remember back to English, but what it means is that it is ongoing. It means it does not end. It starts now, but it goes into the future. And so really the translation should be, this is what God is requiring of you at this very moment and tomorrow and next year. And so let's read Micah 6, 8. And some of you have this memorized. It's a very familiar verse, but we don't always stop to think about what it means in our daily life. So Micah goes on to say, he, God, has told you, O man or O woman, what is good. And what does the Lord require or what is he requiring of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, some of you, when you read that and you put it into the the framework that we're looking at this morning, might think, but I thought salvation was a gift from God. There's nothing we can do. We just celebrate his grace and sit back and coast. But you see, that's not at all the biblical process. That's not how God has shown us to live. Now, of course, we are given a free gift of grace through what Jesus has done on the cross, and salvation comes fully through him alone. Faith precedes works all throughout Scripture, whether it's the story of Abraham or whether it's the story of Moses leading his people out of Egypt. And they get to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is parted because of faith, yet they have to obey God and walk across the dry land. You see, faith precedes the works, but does not negate the works. Really, the question we need to be asking is, how do we respond to God's gift of grace? Shouldn't we desire to please him in all that we do, to make our lives a live action thank you for what God has done? And so Micah is helping us see what God wants to see in our lives each day as we seek to live a life that counts for him. So number one, he says, do justice. Really what that means is do what is right. Now think for a moment, the last time you can remember you were treated unfairly. You know, every person here, can think of at least one time in your life when you were not treated fairly, when you experienced injustice. And more than likely, in that moment, you felt some bitterness and you felt anger. And maybe your blood began to boil because we hate to be treated unfairly. You know, whether it happens at work, maybe with your boss, Maybe it happens when you go down to the DMV. Maybe it's when you got pulled over on the highway. 
Maybe it was at a store when someone took advantage of you. But you know, we love to share these stories, don't we? We love to go tell our friends about that crooked mechanic or that other experience we had where it was so unfair. Now, if you're at all like me, you might even go so far as to concoct elaborate revenge schemes in your head that you just wish you could pull off. Or maybe think about so many movies that have come out these days that are really just long expositions of revenge. People are treated unfairly, and the rest of the movie is them getting their vengeance. There's a story that I read a number of years ago about a man named Dave Hagler. He was a former referee and umpire. And he told a story, an ultimate story, of justice. He said, I was driving too fast in the snow in Boulder, Colorado. And a policeman pulled me over and gave me a speeding ticket. And I tried to talk him out of it. I was telling him how worried I was that my insurance rates would skyrocket. I told him what a good driver I normally am, and so on. And he told me, well, if I don't like it, I can go to court. Well, the first game of the next baseball season, I'm umpiring home plate, and the first batter up is that exact same policeman. And I recognize him, and he recognized me, and he asked, say, how did, those thi- or how did that thing go with the ticket? And I told him, swing at everything. God says this is what he requires of us, that we get as worked up and passionate about someone else being the victim of injustice as we do when we ourselves are the victim. You know, especially we need to be aware and cognizant of the victims who are frequently forgotten and overlooked and who are especially unable to help themselves. In this broken world, there are countless instances of injustice all around us. I mean, the news is full of them, from local to national to all around the world. And you know, one of the biggest tragedies, I think, is that doing justice today is often seen as primarily political. We tend to buy into what our particular political tribe has to say over what God says. It's very clear from scripture that for God, justice is not optional. It's a core part of Jesus's own ministry. Remember, he went into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days prior to beginning his ministry. And when he came out of the wilderness, the very first thing he said about his mission as he quoted the book of Joel is that I have come for the poor and the oppressed, and the captive. He came to bring freedom. He came to set people free. And so God clears up any confusion that we might have and says, you, all of us, every one of us should do justice. Now we live in a world where injustice happens all around us in little and big ways. And what Micah relays to us is that we need to be agents of justice. We might not be able to change everything that's happening, but we can do something. We need to stay informed. 
we need to take notice. We need to be aware of what's happening in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and all around us. And where God leads us, we need to be willing to speak up and to speak out. But maybe most importantly, we need to act. He says, do justice, not just talk about it. And so we need to stand up for people who are being treated unfairly, whether it's at school or at work or anywhere else. I mean, when you think about it, we have been blessed in so many incredible ways, right? And many of us have an overabundance of blessings. And so how are we using what God has given us to help others? You know, we might be tempted to ask or to wonder, you know, well, isn't that what all those other organizations are for? Isn't that why I pay taxes? And God clears up the confusion again here in Mark, Micah 6.8 and says, this is what I am requiring of you. Do justice. It's more than just words. It's actions. Number two, another thing that he's asking us to put into practice every day is to actually love mercy. And the word that Micah uses there in Hebrew is hesed, which is a rich word that means loving kindness. It means steadfast love. It's the word that best describes God's love for you and for me. But notice the requirement is not that we have mercy. It's that we actually love Mercy, And there's a huge difference between the two. It means that we need to have mercy and have kindness towards others, not out of obligation, but out of love. It's a change in attitude and perspective. Now, there are countless stories in the Bible about God's loving kindness for his people. Whether it's the story of the Good Samaritan or the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery, or the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. But you know, all too often, as followers of Jesus, we tend to act like the older brother in the prodigal son story. We get insulted by other people's seemingly free pass. And it reminds me of a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 20. It's called the parable of the workers. And you might remember, it's a bunch of workers who did varying amounts of work, but in the end, they were paid the exact same thing. Now, it reminds me of many years ago when I was doing youth ministry, and I was in charge of a pretty large confirmation class. And it happened to be a Olympic year. And so we wanted kids to memorize scripture, and we wanted them to come to church and to fill out sermon notes and a bunch of things. But we didn't really have a way to require it per se. We didn't want to be that legalistic. So we thought, okay, it's an Olympic year. Let's have three tracks. We'll have the gold medal track. We'll have the silver medal track and the bronze medal track. And so some kids are going to go above and beyond and they're going to get the gold medal and others might choose other tracks. So we went through the year and this worked out great. And you can imagine there were some overachievers and there were some that barely engaged at all. Well, our team, our youth ministry team was doing devotions together and we read the parable of the workers and it dawned on us what we should do. So we went and we got the final awards and on the last day of confirmation, we gave out envelopes and everybody had, a, had their name on one 
And we had them open up the envelopes together, the gold medal, the silver medal, the bronze medal. They all opened it up and it was a nice gift certificate to the movie theater close to our church. But the thing is, every single kid got the same amount. Now the kids actually got it pretty quickly that this was a live action example of God's mercy towards us. But there was one adult leader who I don't think ever forgave us. She was like irate because her group had done so much work. But here's what it says in Matthew 20, starting with 13, verse 13. It says, he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? What an incredible lesson that can be so hard for many of us. We should all love God's mercy and kindness, because without it, we'd be lost. And so how can we better love mercy, especially when it pertains to others in our life? Well, then third and finally, Micah says, this is what God is requiring of you and me to walk humbly with your God. Now, why does Micah include this one? I think maybe because firsthand he knew how difficult it was to be a prophet. It's hard to do the first two things, to do justice and to love mercy, without getting a little self-righteous about it, right? Without thinking a little too highly of ourselves. You see, we are to love God and also to be in awe of him. We should never forget what he has done for us. And when we begin to act with justice and mercy, we should be humble. We should make much about him and not so much about ourselves. Now, humility is defined as a freedom from arrogance that grows out of the recognition that all we have and are comes from God. When we remember that, all that we are, all that we have comes from God We can't help but be humble. Now, my kids are getting older now, but I remember back many years when they were three, four years old. And I remember we loved to go to the Mall of America, especially in the dead of winter, just to walk around and get their energy out. But I remember the difficulty of my son Soren walking with us. He liked to run way ahead or he liked to be way behind. Usually that was okay in a big open space, but <coughs> excuse me, one time at the Gap in Woodbury, he caused a lockdown because we couldn't find him. One time we were at REI and he was hiding in a clothes rack and they had to close the store down. One time we were at the Children's Museum downtown St. Paul and all the workers had to swarm to try to figure out where he was going. And so we learned along the way, it's really hard to keep a kid walking in step with you. And I think it's something that we need to think about when it comes to God, because we're told to walk humbly with 
God. So here's a couple lessons that my kids taught me, and maybe you've learned these lessons too. When it comes to walking with someone, number one, you both have to be going the same direction, right? The same thing is true for God. You will never truly walk with God until you stop and consider what direction he's moving in and then change your course to match his. Now, another thing I learned about walking with kids, and I think it pertains to our walk with God, is that you need to be walking towards the same destination. You know, I think as we've seen in our text this morning, that our idea of success and God's idea of success can often be pretty different. They can be at odds. But God desires that we walk with him that we allow ourselves to be led by him in order that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, then thirdly, we also need to be walking at the same pace. You know, I think sometimes when it comes to walking with God, we lag way behind because we lack motivation or we get way too enthusiastic and we get way ahead of him and both can be problematic. And so we need to remember God knows what he's doing. And so out of trust and humility, we need to let him determine our pace. So as we consider what success looks like in our lives, if we think about how to make our life count in the days that we have left on earth, from God's point of view, where is your growing edge? Do you need God to ignite your hunger for justice? Do you need to be reminded of God's great mercy for you so that you can treat others with mercy? Do you need God to grab your hand today and to help you walk humbly in step with him? Now, this is a really, really big deal. Because can you imagine what it would look like for more Christ followers to actually live these things out? More Christ followers who are doing justice and who are loving mercy and who are walking humbly with our God. Now, in the very final chapter of Micah's book, he actually tells us what might happen. Micah 7, starting in verse 16, he writes... If all of these things take place, if we let God lead the way, nations will see and they'll be ashamed. They will come trembling out of their dens and they will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of him. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives transgressions? You will again have compassion on us and will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I think he's describing an incredible amount of repentance and revival. I think it's something that we all desire in our world. And yet so often we're so misguided in how we want to bring it about. I mean, if we go and be more legalistic, if we go tell people what we think about them, That's somehow going to make a difference. And here, Micah is saying, no, the way to do this, the way to bring about repentance and revival is by doing justice and loving mercy 
and walking humbly with our God. So church, go do justice. Go and love mercy. And go walk humbly with your God, all of it. Go and do that. Make sure that that's on your bucket list. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that even despite all our flaws and our mistakes and the ways that we go in the wrong direction and we get ahead of you and we're behind you and we have a hard time matching your pace and your direction, that you still have incredible mercy on us, that you still stay in close relationship with us. And so God, help us to transform our lives, our priorities, what we wanna do with the rest of our life and help those things match your heart for us. God, give us a heart for people who are being treated unfairly in our world. God, give us an overwhelming amount of mercy towards the people that are especially hard to love. And God, help us through it all to walk humbly with you. God, we wanna see repentance and revival in our community and in our world. And so let it start with us. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.